Greg Masters reporting from HIMSS 2018 in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we just stopped by the OneView booth here, and we're uh, going to talk to Regina Holiday, the uh, artist in residence here at the booth. So, Regina, it's been a while since we last talked. First up, introduce yourself. Tell us what you're working on. So my name is Regina Holiday. I'm a patient rights activist and artist. I focus on telling the healthcare story from the patient perspective. And this painting we are doing here today for one view actually has the beautiful spring, beautiful day, blue sky, reminiscent of the one view logo. And then also we have this stream coming down, a stream of data. And there's these bridges arching over that also are part of the one view logo that create an eye motif in that, but in this they create a bridge. And so on these bridges, I'm telling different patient stories. This one that I'm building out right now is about a patient from one of the doctors that talked with me today. Um, this patient was a young boy who had a stroke at the age of eight. And he's bi he was bilingual before the stroke. He had to learn how to speak again afterwards. And then he's in this picture actually translating the doctor's words to his parents within the painting. So he's the patient in the bed, but he's also acting as a translator. Um, and so much within healthcare, we see that same kind of thing. So in this elements of all these different stories, we're watching that transition from experience, oftentimes a negative, to a positive, right? Something that good, that good can happen within healthcare if we all just work together toward change. So that's what this is today. And then you'll probably notice all the people wearing jackets as have been painted, have been walking up and down the halls. I have my healthcare story on my back. And Greg, you have yours on yours. And all of us here in HIMSS that are telling our stories are going into rooms and people are asking, what's that all about? And is able to put our conversation right out there of what happened in our life and how we think healthcare policy can make it better. So what happens when this work of art is complete? Where does it go? What happens this with it? Goes, this painting goes to the offices at OneView. So this is going to be an office painting for them. Uh, it just depends on what the conference is, what they decide to do with the painting, and this, this one really wanted to keep it. So for those of us walking around with something either you or your associates have painted on our business attire, uh, what's that all about? Well, the walking gallery was started in 2011. Basically what had happened, at that point I was painting murals on city walls about healthcare, especially my husband's cancer journey. Uh, I was also painting canvases about that. And then I was able to go to an event at the Kaiser Permanente Center for Total Health. And I thought, it would be so cool to go to a gallery show here. And it all had smart walls around it. So, you know, my friend Tad said, you can't nail into a smart wall. And I'm like, no! The art's going to be on our backs. We're going to wear our stories. We'll be the docents of our own lives. We will walk that night, form a gallery, and then disperse and spread the stories everywhere. And Ted's like, that's actually a good idea. So Kaiser Permanente authorized us doing that. So the first gathering of the walking gallery was in 2011. And at that point, we had 56 members and 13 artists painting. And now we have over 480 jackets and we have 46 artists painting. And so we're constantly getting more. Like just today, just today, jackets. These are people today here at Hymns dropping off jackets, joining the walking gallery, telling their stories. So my jacket is number 93. Who's jacket number one and two? Well, IG is number one. I can't remember two right now. Jen McCabe? No, see, Jen's before the gallery. So there are five jackets I painted before the walking gallery. They weren't really the walking gallery because they, the walking gallery didn't exist yet. 
So the first three art jackets I ever painted were Jen McCabe, and then Ronnie Zeiger, and then Shira Bell. And those were just jackets, and they had my story on them. They were not the person's story, they were my story. And the idea that came from that was um, Jen McCabe wanted to get into a meeting and tell the patient's story where no patients were invited. So she was going to wear my story on her back to bring it in. When the walking gallery founded on the, after the art jackets, it was about the person's story, not my story, your story. And that was the switch. That clarifies it. I always, uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So for those who are not familiar with you and what you do, uh, give us a little more background and color on the walking gallery. What, what's it all about? Well, it's a movement that the idea, when you, when you think about as a visual artist, what represents something? So a, a man or a woman in a white coat with a pants and a nice shirt, that's a doctor most times. That's a visual representation of a doctor. And when you see a patient in a gown, often viewed from the back with their johnny open, you see their bottom, that's a patient. That is the most universal symbol in our country of a patient. And it's a disempowering one. So I thought when I created the walking gallery is, We'll take a symbol of power, the business suit, and we will smack dab paint the patient story on the business suit. We will claim power. So, so that's sort of why it's a business suit. Lots of people want me to paint on other things like jean jackets and leather jackets and things like that. I'm like, I don't want to do that. It's not the vision of the gallery. The vision of the gallery is a business suit jacket. Um, so, so that's a point of disruption, right? The other thing that's disruptive about it is we do not charge to paint jackets. I mean, people are welcome to donate toward the movement, to spread the movement. There's a lot of other elements of making a movement grow, right? But you never pay for your jacket. It's your physical jacket. It belongs to you. I'm just smearing a painting on it, right? So this means everyone can join. We can have reporters in the walking gallery. You always own your own story. We can have federal employees in the walking gallery. The jacket has no value because of the painting. It's the value of whatever you bought for yourself. So the price of admission is uh, a jacket, business attire, plus someone tells you their story, and then what happens? Then they have to wear it. So you do agree to wear your jacket two to three times per year at a medical conference and event, and you do agree to get on social media. So you do need to be either on Facebook or Twitter. You can pick, and you should be on one of those. Um, We tried to do LinkedIn, and it just was not as community-driven as Twitter and Facebook were. So we have a group on Facebook, we have a tag on Twitter. And between the two of those, we create flash mobs with our movement. We're able to gather at a place and wear our jackets and spread stories. So for those of us who attend these types of health IT, health tech conferences, we're pretty familiar with you, your mission, and what you do. Tell us about the genesis of what brought you into this passion and determination in your life. Sure, so in 2009, my husband had cancer. At that point, I was working at a toy store, and I was a preschool art teacher. And when he was diagnosed with cancer, he was in five facilities in 11 weeks, and we couldn't get to the medical record. And it was horrible because we couldn't make good choices about his health care, and we really didn't know what was going on. It was more terrifying not knowing what was going on. And so I was able to finally get a copy of his medical record. I had been told it would be 73 cents per page in a 21-day wait which I thought was insane since we were in the hospital right now. Um, When I read his record, I realized it had been filled with actionable data that had not been acted upon, which meant nobody was reading his medical record. And my point was the family caregiver will read it. 
um, we'll, we'll, you know, take that extra step to be able to make sure the patient gets care. The patient, if they're competent, you know, competent, will read it too, if they can just get to this information. So my husband died his 12th week of his journey, and I started painting really big paintings about electronic medical records, trying to get people to realize this is the key to improving care. So how much has that needle moved since the initiation of your... Oh, this needle, it's almost like one of those readings for current that goes back and forth like that. <laughs> because this needle wiggles all over the place. Uh, we thought we got far with meaningful use. We thought getting a core measure that patients get access to the records 50% of the time when they ask for it would mean that we'd actually get access to our records. No, a whole bunch of hospitals to beat accreditation said that patients never asked for anything. So therefore, they never had to give it 50% of the time because they never asked for it, which were like, that's so not true. It made us very angry. Um, as meaningful use continued, it sort of just tapered out and went away. And the final stages that we're supposed to make sure we could get to information were never really implemented. Um, the Office for Civil Rights is the one who's supposed to make sure HIPAA violations are penalized. One type of HIPAA violation is refusing to give patients access to their information. Yet those cases are almost never followed through and therefore patients can't get to it through that legal arm. So we desperately in this country need a push to make sure patients can get to the record, they can get to it in a real-time fashion. If you can go to the ATM and get your balance, you should be able to get a card or some way to log on and see what's going on with your healthcare. And we still, in 2018, aren't there. So I keep fighting, I keep pushing, and so do so many other people. And this needle is just very slow to move. So you, you, you do this medical conference called Cinderblocks, which I was uh, privileged to attend once. Uh, you've moved from the D.C. area out to the back country of Maryland, yes. Garrett County? Yep, Garrett County, Maryland. So um, I understand this uh, walking gallery has been a virtual entity. However, have you developed a studio these yes. days? So I did open Salt and Pepper Studios in 2016, which is the home of the walking gallery. We have three bedrooms there that people can stay in free of charge. During the Cinderblocks Medical Conference, it's always full. We get a whole bunch of people who want to stay there. <laughs> um, the point is that people can come in this refreshing rural environment, find a center of peace, get some advocating and mentoring on how to be a more of an activist or artist, or both, you know, combine the two. And it's been really great. We also, I lease space, rental space, in the studio to a local domestic abuse shelter. And we're an outreach center then for that end of the county. Our county is very large. So we're 656 square miles. And um, so on our end of the county, if somebody is in a domestic abuse situation, they know that's an office they can go to. So glad to provide that. So on the potential donor front, have you done any crowdsourcing? Is there a yes, platform? There's, I use GoFundMe as my default type of crowdfunding. I found they're very easy to work with. So they're the one I do the most. So I have a crowdfund that's called um, Growing the Walking Gallery that's focused on the walking gallery. And I have another crowdfund focused on Cinderblocks. It's called Cinderblocks 5. Um, and that's the goal of just getting some sponsors. I call this year's Cinderblocks Passing the Hat. Uh, this year there's been so much change in healthcare that one of my major sponsors is not able to sponsor the event. So I'm looking for a lot of small donors. So they can go to the GoFund.me site and then query... Would be Cinderblocks 5 or Growing the Walking Gallery. Excellent. 
So anyone who wants to get in touch with you, Regina, how do they do that? Oh, I'm all over Twitter and Facebook, uh, Pinterest as well. So if you just Google Regina Holiday Artist, I pop right up. Excellent. So what's next for you after you leave this uh, gathering of health information technology evangelists? Well, my next speaking engagement is in May at Scott, in Scottsdale, Arizona, as I recall, uh, for a hospital association. And then I have another speaking engagement in June as well for another hospital association. I'm very excited the hospital associations are having me speak because those are usually like the board of directors and executive officers. And my speech, of course, is focused on a lot of really bad things that happened and getting people to realize bad things happen every day, but we could make it better, right? And so it's a good thing when folks invite me to speak. So tell me a little bit about how you receive there and what kinds of questions do you typically get uh, after you're done talking? So I rarely get questions after I'm done talking because emotionally people aren't prepared yet to ask a question. So usually when I finish speaking, I close with a poem and um, that I've written, and then there's silence, and then there's usually a standing ovation after the silence, and then I go to an easel and I begin to paint. And at the easel, it's a type of confessional almost. So all these people come to me all day long at the easel and they ask me their question. Because their question is so personal and so profound that it's not meant to be in an auditorium, it's meant to be here. I love it. Regina Holiday, the virtual confessional. Yeah, I mean, well, spirituality is part of this too. I get that. Regina, um, as busy as you are, with uh, all the commitments you make to carry the message. Uh, I see you're holding a book there. Yeah. Uh, tell us about it. So in 2015, I had whooping cough. And I don't know if you've ever had whooping cough. It's horrific. You cough and feel like you can't breathe at all. Um, so you have to stay still so you don't start coughing. So during the period that I was recovering from that, I wrote a book. And this is my memoir. I've spoken a lot at conferences and events. And people, when they get off stage, they want to know more. They're like, you only talk for one hour. <laughs> it's like, what all happened? What was everything that happened? And I said, okay, someday I'll write a book. So I was able to write this one. It's called The Writing on the Wall. It's on Amazon. So there's a Kindle edition, very affordable. Um, and you're welcome to read my life story. So I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if your, your viewership has seen Matthew Holt's jacket um, in the walking gallery. It's called Aces. And it's about the Aces study. Um, the ACE study was the Adverse Childhood Experience Survey. It was done by the CDC in Kaiser Permanente. And what it said was that children who in their childhood experienced a parent who was abusive, who was an alcoholic, who used uh, medications incorrectly, who abandoned them or died, um, th those things would lead to an adult who had, would be more medically compromised. And that really, we should ask the ACEs questions to people because it's a really important to know those past traumatic events because it'll impact the rest of your life. So in this book, I talk about my abusive childhood as well as my husband's medical journey when we had healthcare, and I correlate them. That the experience I had when Fred was in the hospital was just as bad as being in a household filled with abuse. And that oftentimes people, when they embrace a healthcare system that hurts them, that's, that's a very traditional approach to an abused person. You know, even though they're being hurt, they still clutch onto it. So we've got to help people through that.
So I talk about both those things in this book. So it, it tends to be something that it's some something there for everyone to read. And I also try to write in such a way that just a regular person would enjoy reading the book. It does, they don't have to have a PhD to understand what I'm writing. And that's ACES as an A-C-E-S? Yes, the ACES study. So um, I talk about an introduction in this book. And if you ever see my business card, um, people, it's my jacket, but you'll see it's like, it's like the ACE um, so of hearts. So it's referring to the ACES study. And people who know that realize that. And that A also stands for something else, which yes. is part of your history. My jacket's called Little Miss A-type personality because when I was asking questions about my husband's care, the doctor called me a Little Miss A-type personality. So instead of just bowing down under pressure, I just embraced it and said, okay, I'll just wear that letter A on my back. And some people think it looks like the scarlet letter, and I say, okay, well, I am a kind of pariah in healthcare. <laughs> there are people who don't want to see me and don't want to talk to me. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is we can make everything better. And, and I don't think that was that comment was offered as a compliment. No, no, that compliment, that isn't a compliment. Uh, it's one of those things too that when I did the when I did my my, my painting originally, um, the the white in the pictures looks smoky. It looks very smoky. I don't know if you noticed that. And I did not know that the original study that they created the term A-type personality and B-type personality was funded by the tobacco industry. It was in part done to make another reason why people were having heart attacks. It wasn't because of tobacco usage, it was because this person was an A-type personality. So, so there is that as well. Like, How can our scientific studies be skewed in such a way that it makes things not real? Ah, uh, the versatility of Regina Holiday. <laughs> Artist, painter, writer, public speaker, and determined passionista to make a difference in the world of patient-centered care. Regina, it's always a pleasure to see you. I appreciate all that you do as well. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.